team. Great. I just, uh, as we sit down tonight, you know, there's, uh, I do sense that, you know, God just wants to minister and maybe elements. Who knows that as a human being, sometimes there's elements and parts of us that I suppose we use that word was used tonight, brokenness, you know, just brokenness, brokenness of maybe because something's happened in the past or some situations unfolded, it hasn't been positive and you know, I want to just say our God is in the business of taking broken pieces and putting them back together, isn't he? And he's in the business of just restoring lives. And, you know, it's not the outside. If, if brokenness was just about the outside, we'd probably be okay. If it was just a limb that was broken, if it was just a, a bruised, um, you know, whatever, uh, was bruised or something, we would probably could live with that. But, you know, the real brokenness and the real bruising is of our soul, isn't it? Is that inner part of us. You can talk back to me tonight. Amen. It's okay. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. So, uh, so, you know, that's the part. You know, and David, King David just says in Psalm 103, verse 1, uh, it's a familiar verse. Some of you could quote it to me. Psalm 103, verse 1. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Um, it's interesting that David would say that because the word soul is... Uh, very much about our inner person. The word soul, whenever you read it in Scripture, it's always talking about that inner part of you where, you, where your emotions flow out of, where, you're, where, you're, where your thoughts come from, where your attitudes stem from. It's that part of us that is the thing that um, uh, sometimes uh, tells us how to react because what's in our soul? Um, uh, the Bible says out of the heart um, flows, the, or out of the soul even flows the what? The issues of life. Sometimes we think the issues of life are around us. We think, oh, there's an issue over here, an issue over there. But, you know, really the truth is it's the issues in our own life that cause us to either act positively or negatively. And so that's the part that gets broken, isn't it? Inside, that's that soulish realm. It's never really the outside. Um, David knew this. And so when David uh, talks about, you know, he speaks to himself. You're not going crazy if you talk to yourself. You're allowed to do that, okay? And David talks to himself, and he says, you know, soul, come on. Come into line here, soul. All that emotion I've got, uh, come into line. Bless the Lord. So obviously David understood there was a connection between having his soul ministered to, having his, uh, having his emotions and, um, you know, um, uh, encouraged, and, between, and, and blessing and praising God. He understood that there was a relationship between giving God praise and having our emotions renewed and strengthened and something having, having some of that brokenness fixed up on the inside. He understood the power of saying, soul, bless the Lord, and everything for that matter, everything within me, just praise the Lord. Give thanks, because he knew there was a connection happening, and there, there was one person who can, can heal the soul, who can heal the brokenness, and that's our Heavenly Father. And so tonight, I just want to talk about five habits that, you, that will keep you from brokenness. How's that? Five habits that will keep you from brokenness. Five, not ten. Five. Five things. And, and I'm not necessarily into lists of things because there's an endless supply of things that could be. You could, you could write your own sermon tonight. But let me just share with you tonight five things that I believe will keep you from brokenness or or tragedy, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, the number one thing that I find that as I walk through my life and as I've walked, not only observing myself, but also observing other people, is it's the habit, having the habit of forgiveness. 
continually living. And you say, well, I've heard this a hundred times. Forgiveness, forgive. You've got to forgive. You've got to forgive. But I, I don't think I can hear this message enough, personally. Uh, because I've always got opportunity to have uh, a time where um, something happens or somebody happens to me and I have an opportunity uh, to kind of dwell on it for a while and not forgive. Um, life gives us opportunity to either go down the road of forgiveness or the road of unforgiveness. And we've got to continually live because unforgiveness produces a broken soul. Because it leads to bitterness, it leads to anger, it leads to rage, it leads to, it leads to a whole lot of set of emotions that you and I really don't need in our lives. It just eats us up on the inside, would you agree? And so we've got to be aware of it. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, he said this, 32, he says, you know what? You've got to be kind to one another. There's a great idea. Just be kind to one another. He said, you know, tender-hearted. And here's another thought. Just forgiving one another, he said, just as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. There's the motivation, isn't it? As God, how much has God forgiven me? <laughs> Lots. So if he's done that for me, how much more could I, could I take that which he has imparted into my life and even give it to other people and forgive? Um, life's too short to hold grudges, isn't it? Really, we, compared to eternity, um, the average age of men is 78 and the women are a little higher. I'd like to think we all live to 108, 110, whatever. But the reality is we probably all won't live to that age. But it really is quite short compared to eternity. So why, why mess up the, the 90 or 80 years that you have on this earth with a whole, a whole level and a whole attitude of unforgiveness? Don't ever become a victim of another person's bad choices. I'll say that again, forgive them. Don't ever become a victim, a victim of another per person's bad choices. Okay? They might have a, they've done something to you. Don't ever become a victim of what they've done to you. Forgive them. Um, Peter and Jesus had this great conversation uh, in um, Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 22. And it goes like this. You've heard it. Some of you, you know this. And it says, Peter came to Jesus and he asked, he says, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? When he sins against me. And then he says, up to seven times? And Jesus answered and he said to him, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now the interesting, there's a bit of history around this conversation that maybe you might be aware of or mightn't be. But the history goes like this. Jewish law or rules said this. It said that the legal obligation for forgiving people was seven times. So that was the legal obligation. If someone come and done something to you the first, second, third, fourth, you forgive them right up to the seventh time. On the eighth time, I'm really not quite sure what you're to do, but at least on the se you forgive them seven times. And, um, and Peter, really, in asking this question to Jesus, what he's doing is he's saying to Jesus, do I need to just, you know, is my obligation at least seven times to forgive? Is that the obligation? That's what he was saying. And Jesus says, um, Pete, no, in actual fact, it's not seven times, it's 70 times seven. Now, if we, you've probably heard the argument, oh, well, it's 490 times. You know, I've never had to forgive someone that many times in my life, and you probably never will either. But Peter, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, you really have got it all wrong here. Forgiveness has got nothing to do about obligation. Forgiveness has got everything to do with your heart attitude of just wanting to forgive. And I think Jesus was saying to Peter, stop counting. Stop, you don't need to count. 
Uh, because that's not what I'm saying when I say 70 times 7. I'm just saying, stop counting. Just forgive. It's not an, if, you have, if you feel like you're obligated to forgive, it's probably you haven't got the right heart attitude. The, the, the reason that you need to forgive is because it's a powerful, uh, powerful force within your life, an emotion that you need to make sure you live in because it can screw you up on the inside if you don't. And so Jesus clearly talks to Peter. He says, come on, Peter. It's a lifestyle of forgiveness. It's a habit of forgiveness. Because if you take forgiveness along that route of where it wants to take you, along that road, it'll just lean into and it'll continue to take you down on an emotional to emotional um, um, just um, pile that's just you know, not going to do you any good. It's just going to mess up your life if you continually live like that. The truth is, most people have to only forgive someone else at once in their life. We grapple with that, <laughs> let alone 490 times or even seven times. We can grapple with the once. And I've found that the, uh, the only way that sometimes you can deal with what's happened to you in life is through the God's incredible Holy Spirit and His power working in your heart as you yield to Him. Because humanly speaking, it can be pretty difficult to forgive some of the stuff Pretty difficult to forget some of the issues that have happened, or forget and forgive. I'm glad that we have a God that's, and we have an example like David. He says, Come on, this is why I think David, do you remember David? He was chased by his father in law for 10 years who wanted to murder him. You know, that's a great in laws. (laughs) Somebody said to me once, Oh, my in laws are certainly outlaws. You know, I tell you what, David had them. His life was, he was running from cave to cave and trying to keep away from his father-in-law. I tell you, he had every reason to live with unforgiveness in his heart. And yet he said in Psalm 103, hey, soul, <laughs> bless the Lord. Get it, get it right. I can't live with that. Okay. Here's another one. Have a habit. I'm sorry about the words because I did have it better than this, but the, the actual PowerPoint has just messed it up when I've transferred it to that. Have a habit of loving. Okay. Have a habit of loving. Uh, you might think, oh, yeah, I know that. Yeah, but do you live it? <laughs> I know it too. Um, I find somewhat, sometimes that I have the greatest love for myself. <laughs> and it really, it really becomes quite boring. You know? Well, you know, and what I'm saying, I look after number one, but, you know, do I ever bother to love other people? You know, it's a, it's a, it, just have a habit of loving. Um, Matthew 22, 39, Jesus just says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Love your neighbor. And if we were to look at it, have you got a, what kind of neighbors have you got? You know, who lives, do you know the person next door? Maybe it's an opportunity to, you know, just to go and love your neighbor. Uh, someone around where you live. But, you know, quite literally, Jesus says, of course, your neighbor, and he went on to explain, it's like the, the good Samaritan, the man who, who went and helped it, the person who was beat up, and he says, love those type of people, and he was referring to that. But loving relationships, we need to make, you know, I found that love is, is never just an automatic thing, it's a commitment of your will, isn't it? You've got to learn to love sometimes. It's not an easy thing. You know, I am... Um, it's, it's making a decision to love the person. 
Because if you never make a decision to love the person, sometimes you'll, you'll find that you won't never really engage in love. You've got to make a purposeful decision in your mind. You know, and uh, it's important. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the love chapter. Do you remember that chapter? It says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. does not become uh, rude. Uh, does not seek its own attentions. Not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Whoever wrote, Paul who wrote that, what was he thinking? Because that is pretty a difficult list to fulfill. Would you agree? On any daily basis. Now, I'm not saying that we can't do it. I'm just saying it's a pretty tall order. Um, Paul wrote it, and he's saying... And he's telling people to love one another. And he's, and he's really talking about, he wrote this to the Corinthian church, which is quite interesting because if you knew anything about the Corinthian church, it was full of interesting people. Uh, Corinth itself was an interesting city. Corinth uh, was, a, was a, uh, a den of immorality, to, to be honest. They had a temple on the hill built for prostitutes, where male and female prostitutes were. They had immorality. They had people sacrificing children because that's what they thought God wanted. Um, so those type of people come into this nice little church that Paul starts. And man, you, they start to, you know, kind of, kind of mixed up. It's a, it's a group of people. And, and the Christians who are in that church would have said, Paul, you want us to be patient and kind with those type of people? And that's why Paul wrote it. He said, come on, be patient and kind. Don't envy. Come on. Um, realize that and these type of people are coming in the church, ex-prostitutes. Now, I'm not saying they're, the, they're no worse than my sin, but I'm just saying that's the immorality that was happening in Corinth in those days. And, and Paul writes this chapter, love is patient, love is kind. My goodness. They actually used to talk about Corinth and People who lived there and sometimes were, had been living there for a while and been influenced by the culture of Corinth, they used to say, oh, you've been Corinthicized. And that meant this, oh, you've been living immoral nature, immoral behavior. That, that's what they had, a, they had a common term, oh, Corinthicized. If you're Corinthicized, you live an immoral life. So it wasn't a good place. And yet right there in the middle of that city, a church was planted and people come to Jesus and it had all types of people in there. And out of that, we see that sometimes love is really easy when people love you. But when people don't give you the time of day, how do you go loving them? I want to tell you, it's much better to live in love than hate, isn't it? Um, it's much better to live. Love is not easy, but love is a decision you make. Um, here's another one. If we want to have a habit, not allow the brokenness to be healed, is have a habit of thankfulness. Just a continual habit of thankfulness. You may say, is that important? I think it's incredibly important. Um, it's reasonably easy to be thankful when things are going well. But thankfulness is really Never really thankfulness until you have a reason not to be thankful. Would you agree? It's like love. Love is never really love sometimes until you have a reason not to love. Same with thankfulness. Thankfulness is not thankfulness until you have a good reason. I don't want to be thankful today for that. I don't want to be thankful. You have to try a lot harder to be thankful. You've got to see the bright side of things when everything's going wrong. But it keeps, your, it keeps your soul healthy when you can walk through the day in the midst of all the rubbish that happens in your life and say, God, you know, I am still thankful. 
I'm sure there's something in here I can be thankful for. There's something that I can find in this day I could just praise God about anyway. You know, so important. Life will always give us reasons to be unthankful, but live with a thankful heart. Make it a habit in your life. When you get up in the morning, instead of saying, oh, it's morning, why don't you say, I'm just thankful that I'm still alive and breathing. It's good. Yeah, there's always something to be thankful for. Psalm 100 verse 4 says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Um, and then into his courts with praise, be thankful unto him and bless his name. It says enter his gates with thanksgiving. God, the gates simply means an opening. It just means an opening. Um, and often you enter something, how, sorry, how you enter something will determine what you find inside. If you enter with a grumpy spirit, you'll find stuff to get grumpy about. If you enter with a thankful spirit, you'll find stuff to be thankful for. How you enter each day, you'll determine what you find inside that day. Isn't that true? And God says, enter my gates with thanksgiving. Because um, it was talking, I suppose, symbolic of the temple. Entering these gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him, under him. You know, I, I just think it was, God was saying, hey, I don't want you walking through into this temple with grumbling about everything. I want you to come with a thankful heart. Because I can so much, uh, uh, things can happen when you have a thankful heart. Uh, I can do so much more. Um, so we've got to be aware, what, what do you enter? How do you enter each day? Uh, do you enter it with a with an attitude that's predetermined of thankfulness or a predetermined grumpiness? Have you got your grumpy pants on tonight or you got your happy pants on? You know, how you enter something will determine what you find in there. There were two young men. You've heard this story? One young man was really positive about life. Everything was just so positive. He was over-the-top positive. Everything, oh, he says, life's just so good. Some of the worst things that happened to him, and yet he was so positive. And then the other son who was much the same age, nine months younger, he was so negative. His parents would give him good stuff and help him, and he'd be just so negative all the time. He was so negative. And so they took them, they went and asked advice from a psychiatrist. They said, what should we do? We've got one son that's over the top one way, and we've got one son that's so you know, negative about everything. One's positive, one's negative. He said, this is what you do. He says, the son that's really negative, what you need to do is just... Give him incredible, bless him somehow. Just do wonderful things for him. Give him presents and things he's always longed for. And, you know, compensate and help him to start to see all the good things in life. He says, for the son who's over the top and thankful, just, you know, pile, pile his room up with cow manure and just leave it in his room and, and, you know, and just help him to think about the realities and get him a bit back on track. And so they, this day, they, uh, they, uh, they done what the psychiatrist, funny information, but anyway, and so they gave these gifts to the youngest son who was so negative, and the youngest son looked at the gift and said, what did you do this for? I'm only probably going to break him anyway. And then the youngest son opened his room, and it's just piles of cow manure. So it was piles of horse manure. And he dived into the horse manure, and he said, he came up with a big smile. He says, with this much manure, there must be a horse in it somewhere. <laughs> and you know, and what you enter, what you enter, how you enter life is what you'll find inside. I just... I just love it when Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God's will for you. It's worth noting what Paul says here. He says, and everything give thanks. There's been a lot of debate about that verse. And everything give thanks? Uh, 
for this is the will of God. I notice that it's not just a little bit of God's will. It's just not a portion of God's will. Here's God's will. You ever thought, God, I just want your will. And God says, just give thanks. Because I've discovered uh, it's, um, God will always start with you having a thankful heart. And it's very difficult to see anything of the direction of God's will for your life when you're negative or just got your grumpy pants on. It's very difficult. But when you just have a thankful heart, you know, you can start to maybe see. God says, you know, with a thankful heart, you can see a lot clearer. It's like you stand on a cliff and can see for kilometers and kilometers uh, when you've got a thankful heart. You can just see a lot better. You can just see the future. I just want to encourage us. Um, thankfulness is just a powerful. It, it takes the brokenness within us and it starts to heal that part of us when we just give him thanks anyway. I know that I'm, I'm speaking out of the, you know, I don't know everybody's circumstances and I'm not, you know, it, it can be difficult sometimes. I understand that. But I want to tell you there's power in it. There's power. It releases God's presence in your life when you start to do this. Here's another one real quick. Um, number four, have a ha- habit of happiness. Yeah. Habit. Make a merry heart. A merry heart goes around. What's it say? Proverbs 17. Oh, that's a good one. Proverbs 17, verse 22. A merry heart is good like a medicine. It is. I want to tell you, just a bit of joy in your life is better than a cupboard full of vitamins. It's better than a cupboard full of medicine sometimes. Just a, you know, sometimes just a, a joy in your life. I, I think sometimes the, the, the more, the more um, issues in life and, the, and, the, and the, the lack of joy sometimes creates so much stress for people. They just have got nothing to be joyful about and they just walk around unjoyful. And so it just creates issues in their life. Um, I want to say it's not just about laughter, even though laughter is a powerful medicine. Laughter is a powerful medicine. When there's a good laugh... You know, um, it does. It does something within you. It does apparently release positive, whatever, endorphins or something like that when you laugh. It's medically proven. Um, it's the same with exercise, does that as well. Mm. So, anyway, in other words, a heart that's not full of grumbles and not full of stinking attitudes, uh, you know, could just, there's an element of joy. You need to have a heart that is forgiven itself, a heart that is free from stress and worry, which is for some a struggle, a heart that sees the cup half full and not always half empty. You know, I don't want to say if you're struggling to find things to get happy about, go and find something to get happy about. Go and find something to get happy about. Do something you enjoy. You know, some of us just need to have that release valve on a weekly or daily basis where you just do something different that produces. Now, I'm not saying have a block of chocolate every day. I know that some of you are thinking that right now. That gives me great joy. You know, there's nothing wrong with a block. Just share it with five other people so you just get two pieces instead of a lot. But, um, you know, do something that emotionally recharges your life. And you'll find that joy can be, it says the joy of the Lord can even be your strength. Do something that, you know, something different. Get out of the mold sometimes. I don't know what that may be. It, you know, the greatest thing is you just spend some time just honoring and worshiping our God. I tell you, it releases something in your life when you truly connect with the creator of heaven and earth through praise and worship. Um, amen. And so the ultimate merry heart is not necessarily a ha-ha life, but an attitude. It's an attitude. Uh, just being thankful. Just being thankful. Just having joy. Here's the last one. 
to break, to have a habit of encouraging. It's different from thankfulness. It's having a habit of encouraging. Okay? Um, Hebrews 3.13 says, encourage one another daily. Encourage. So if the Word of God says daily, it probably would be a good thing that we do some of these things on a daily basis. Uh, you know, uh, when was the last time you caught someone doing something good and so you could encourage them? Or do, you know, sometimes we can be so quick to comment on the mistakes in people's lives, but we don't bother to see the encouraging things they do or the things that we could encourage them in in life. And your words are powerful. Do you know that? Your words are powerful. With people who follow you or people that you can influence, you've got to be careful with your words uh, and the way that you can build them up or you can cut them down. And James says words are like three things in the Bible. He says words are like bits in the horse's mouth. You know the little bit and you're steering the horse with the reins? You know, that kind of thing. I'm not a professional at it, but you know, you can pull the rein this side and the horse goes that way, hopefully. You pull the rein this side and goes, is that right? Is that how it works? Everybody who rides horses. And so the bit in the horse's mouth, your words are like that. And you can come across a person. I don't know what kind of people you have in your family. Maybe you have a stubborn mule or an old nag or you've got a show pony. But I tell you what, your words, your words that you speak to them can turn them from whatever attitude they may have just because of the word that you speak to them. It's how powerful your words are. It can turn them around for good. Come on. The word of God says a gentle, a gentle answer turns away anger. It can turn a person. Your words encourage someone. Another um, illustration is uh, the words, your words are like rudders of a ship. Have you ever noticed the size of a rudder compared to the ship? Amazing, isn't it? The size in comparison. Such a small thing can have an amazing ability to set the direction. Do you know even as you speak to yourself, you can set the direction of your life? I am more than a conquering Christ Jesus. Is that just, that's just more than positive thinking. That's the word of God about you. That's, what God, that's who he says you are. Speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Making melody in your heart to the Lord. Setting the direction of your life. It's just not a nice thing to sing. sing. It's, it's setting the direction of your life, the way you speak to yourself. And how, do you, and how you speak to others can have a, it, it can interrupt their life so that they start to think about, wow, I am who God says I am. Speak positively. Our words can either be hostile or they can be relationship building. So we need to be careful. Here's another one. Words are like a spark. You know, that little tiny spark. And like a match to a, to a paddock of dry grass. There is heaven's fire that warms the soul. Or there can be hell's fire that burns people and, and chews people out. And so we've got to be careful of our words. And I think the greatest word that you can do sometimes is find somebody doing something that's good and encourage them. Why not do that? You know, I don't do this far. I don't do this enough. Nowhere near enough. I need to do it. And it's not being fake, but it's just saying, hey, that was brilliant today. That was good. Why do we do that? You know, if we did that sometimes as parents with our children, I think our children would warm uh, so much more to us. I think as maybe if kids uh, with your parents say, hey, you know, I just want to appreciate you. I know that you've, uh, you've got to discipline me, but I just want you to know I still love you. That'd be a good thing to do, wouldn't it? I don't think I ever said that. <laughs> but, you know, uh, encouragement. Can I have the musos back tonight? That'd be great. Thanks, guys.
I was just uh, contemplating a passage in the Bible, which is always a good thing. Jeremiah chapter 18. And Jeremiah 18, is, there's a passage in, in verses 1 through to about verse um, 7 or 8, and it says this. The word came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, and I just sense, um, Kerry kind of shared something tonight, was, I think it was very spot on uh, about brokenness. But I think this is for some people tonight as well. The word came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will announce my words to you. And I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, the potter was making something on the wheel. Do you know what? Can you picture the wheel? You ever seen, um, you know, a wheel? Um, and on that wheel is the clay, and it's a foot pedal. And it's, every time you pump the pedal, the wheel spins, and the clay is moist and wet. And you get the picture. They can mold things out of that clay. And so Jeremiah, God's saying to Jeremiah, um, go down to the potter's house and see them spinning on the wheel, sp- making something. But the vessel or the clay that was... He was making of clay was spoiled, or the vessel, in the hand of the potter. In other words, so he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. In other words, the potter is making something, and it's marred. It doesn't look good. It's not right. And so he, he kind of presses it all together again, and he starts again. And, I, and, and that was a wonderful illustration. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as the potter does? declares the Lord, behold, like the clay, you are the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. Here's the principle, that God takes our lives, and as we yield to him, like clay, he sees the bits that are broken, and you know, you would expect him to mend that, but sometimes the pain, he puts his hands upon us, and it can feel painful to, to, to face up to some of those pains in our lives. It can be painful to, for him to put his hand upon us, because we don't want to face the struggle and the situation or the or issues we face. And he puts his hand upon us, and he, and he picks us up, and he dumps us back on the potter's wheel, because he wants to make something so much better. And you know what? He's doing that in our lives. He wants to make, as we submit to him, he makes something so much better. Out of the brokenness, he brings wholeness. Out of the pain, he brings healing. Out of the struggle, he brings victory. And he, he molds our lives. And it's got nothing to do with our physical outside person, everything to do with our heart. Since sometimes, we, you know, we can, we can be walking in God's will, loving and serving God, but things happen And I want you to know, I'm glad you're in the place of God and not out there in the world facing those struggles because maybe we wouldn't run into God. But God wants us to run into Him because He wants to put His hand and remold our lives and make us His chosen vessels. How about tonight we stand as we close? But I just want to ask you, what habits are you forming that are continually going to bring life to your life? God wants to just minister into your heart. And maybe there's some, you know, the Holy Spirit could do far more than we could ever do. His presence can do far more than we could ever do. And if you sense tonight that that, that word that Kerry gave was important and, and that maybe there's some elements you just need to yield to God and say, Father, start to put your hand on me because I just need your strength because I can't keep on going. I'd love to just come and you know, pray tonight. Just stand at the front and just let God minister to you through his power and his presence tonight. So let's, as we sing this song, I want you to come. If you just say, Father, me, let, work in my life. Let's not go another day 
not yielding these things and saying, Father, here I am. I'm the clay, you're the potter. Have your way in our lives. Come on, let's sing this beautiful song. And you come. It just sense God wants to courage, bless people. So dead. 